welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Hear these words now from the book that we love. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Prepare our hearts, O Lord, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, uh, Team Australia gave us one of the most iconic moments of the recently concluded 2020 or 2021, I never know which one to say, uh, Tokyo Olympics. And no, I know what you're thinking, I am not referring to Dean Boxel, who was the swim coach of Ariane Titmus, who went absolutely bananas when she won the 400 freestyle beating Kaylee Ledecky. I don't know if you saw that video where he throws off his mask and he busts through a barrier and he grabs this fence, starts gyrating and yelling wildly. It is amazing to watch, uh, so if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to YouTube that. Dean Boxall, B-O-X-A-L-L. Um, very funny, but that's not what I'm referring to. Actually, what I'm referring to is what happened during the final event, the 1,500 meters of the men's decathlon. Australian Ashley Maloney was in third place, and he was just 38 points behind American Garrett Scantling. If you're not familiar with the decathlon, it's 10 events over the course of two days, cumulative points. So one person wins after all these various events. So he was only 38 points ahead of fourth place, and which means that he needed to finish the 1,500 meters, which is about a mile, within 10 seconds of uh, the American Garrett Scantling in order to retain the bronze medal. So this 21-year-old was running, 
And at about the 800-meter mark, he began to fall behind. And he later said that he just hit a wall, was exhausted, could barely put one foot in front of the other, and, and he begins to lag. However, on the final lap, his teammate, fellow Australian Cedric Dubler, noticed this. He was ahead of Ash, and he dropped back. He slowed down till his teammate caught up to him. He got along beside of him and began to yell and scream at him crazily for the entire final lap. Dubler uh, responded to this, picked up the pace a little bit, and he ended up finishing the race. I'm sorry. Dubler, two names, Dubler finished the race in dead last, but Ash did pick up the pace and uh, was able uh, to finish with not only in the place that he needed, but he actually got a personal best in the 1500 meter uh, with, with his teammate screaming at him. When I was reading a little bit about this this week, I have to, I have to mention this. Australian uh, words are, are amazing. One of the articles that I read said that, um, said that Dubler cattle-dogged his, his fellow Aussie, which I love. It's amazing. And, that, uh, and also uh, that Dubler displayed, quote, true Aussie mateship, uh, which is also a great phrase, mateship. I love that. Now, it's true that Cedric Dubler, if you Google this, you'll find out that he had a hamstring injury, that he hadn't done that well overall in the decathlon. He was out of medal contention. But the point is that in the Olympics, the biggest stage, the final event, he sacrificed his position and any potential points that he could have had. And he expended what little energy he had left after two grueling days of competition for the sake of someone else. He selflessly put the interests of his teammate and his team ahead of his own. Stories like this, I think, are one of the reasons that so many uh, people love the Olympics, one of the reasons why the Olympics every two years uh, or four years for, for the summer or the, or the winter games come around, why people think they're so special and are glued to the TV and enjoy watching them. See, athletes who normally compete in all these individual competitions are drawn into a higher cause. For, for the first time, or for some, or, or, or at least again, for the first time in a long time, they're competing not just for themselves, but for a team. They're competing for their country, to be more specific. It's one of the only venues where this happens, and arguably the most important one, in which many of these men and women have the opportunity to use, the, use their athletic skills for the good of a larger group, for a larger group of athletes, for a larger community of equally gifted yet different men and women. In my sermon five weeks ago, I preached on 1 Corinthians, and there were three uh, images there of the, of the church that Paul uses. He talks about the church uh, as God's field and God's building and God's temple. And here we're going to look at another image that he uses. And I spent some time during that sermon, you can go back and listen to it uh, on the website or watch it on YouTube or whatever. I spent some time discussing the situation of the church in Corinth, and I'm not going to rehash all that for the sake of time. It took a little bit of time to flesh out. Uh, but, but all you need to know, if you missed it, is that the church in Corinth was a congregation divided. They were a congregation divided. They were split into factions and cliques uh, around both particular leaders, which is what I talked about last time and what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 3, but they're also divided around a host of different issues, which Paul begins to address in chapter 7 of this letter and kind of addresses all the way through where we are and further. And in chapter 12 specifically, he begins a three-chapter uh, dissertation on the topic of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. It's important to know that in the preceding paragraph, uh, right before our scripture reading, so in verses uh, 1 until 11, Paul makes it abundantly clear 
that every follower of Jesus, every man and woman in the Corinthian church has been given a spirit-empowered talent or ability, that they all have spiritual gifts. And this, again, this isn't in your worship folder, but in verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. And then again in verse 11, and these, the gifts, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, everyone who is a follower of Jesus in the church is gifted. Not just a few select leaders, not just a few super spiritual people, not just the people that are up front, but everyone is spiritually gifted. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the, the confessions of faith that we hold to here at Liberty Collinswood in our denomination, uh, is from the, the 15th, 16th century. In question and answer 55, it says this, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ in all his treasures and gifts. See, no one, no one, no man, no woman, no child is giftless. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a gift from God, a talent, an ability that he has given you supernaturally to use. One of the greatest sports movies, arguably, of, of all time is Any Given Sunday. I don't know if many of you have probably seen this. 1999 film. It's about a, a fictional professional football team called the Miami Sharks. Interestingly, the NFL denied the filmmaker the rights to use like a real NFL team, so they had to make it up. The Miami Sharks, who were once the best team in the league but are now struggling. I know that hits a little too close to home. I feel that on the eve here. The, the Eagles got demolished this week by the Patriots in preseason. It's only preseason. It's okay. But they're struggling with losses. They're struggling with sliding fan attendance, aging star players. And they're also a team that is divided. And without going into the details, but the different people in the locker room have been torn apart. Uh, relationships have been strained. Specifically, there's one uh, star quarterback who, uh, whose ego is, is getting a little bit too big. And he thinks he's the most important person on the field and gives an interview uh, stating as such, which, which, you know, angers the team. And, and the team is divided, and they're getting ready for this final game before the game, and the coach, who is played by Al Pacino, uh, gives one of the most famous scenes of the whole movie. It's a, it's a great speech. There's some profanity. If you Google that, just be advised. But it's, a, but it's a great speech, a very inspiring locker room talk. And one of the last lines of that speech, this is what Pacino says, Either we heal now as a team, or we will die as individuals. Either we heal now as a team, or we will die as individuals. That was my best Pacino impression that I'd feel comfortable doing with a microphone attached to my face. Um, don't want to blow you all away. Not that it's any good anyway. But in many ways, the book of 1 Corinthians and this chapter, this text specifically, is the Apostle Paul's Any Given Sunday Locker Room speech. The church has a choice to make, he makes it very clear, realize that they need each other or they're going to continue to deteriorate and fall apart and fraction and eventually die as a church, cease to exist. And so from here, I want to unpack Paul's argument and convince you, Liberty Church Collinswood, and again, Liberty Mainline, thank you for joining us. Hopefully this will be convincing to you as well. If you've never met before, my name is Eric. But he gives three reasons for this. We need each other, one, because we are one body. We need each other, two, because we are different. And we need each other, three, because we are mutually dependent. One body, different, mutually dependent. So first, 
We need one another because we are one body. Look back at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. See, every Christian through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus has been incorporated into the church and has been drenched with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, poured out upon them. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a member of the body of Christ. You are a member of the church. And the church is unique, unlike other clubs or organizations or groups that you can join and leave as you wish. The church is one that you cannot quit. If you are a Christian, you cannot quit. You are stuck with the body of Christ. You are stuck with the church. And again, the Heidelberg Catechism in question answer 54, so right before what I read a moment ago, says this, I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a chosen community for eternal life and united in true faith. In the last sentence, and of this community, I am and always will be a living member. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are and always will be a living member of the church, of Christ's body. See, this is by God's design. Jesus and the body of Christ, the church, are a package deal. They come together. You can't have one without the other. You have to have both. In Christianity, which we so often confuse sometimes in our individualistic culture in the West, Christianity is not a Jesus and me thing. It's actually a Jesus and we thing. Membership in the body of Christ is inescapable. We need one another because we are one body, but we also need one another because we are different. You saw this in verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Have you ever seen, like, either on the boardwalk or at an amusement park, uh, one of those artists sitting on a stool trying to get people to come over so they can draw you looking ridiculous? Caricatures, it's called. There's these portraits where, you know, they exaggerate different parts of someone's face or body, and it's comedic, and it's, and it's funny. When we see those, we immediately recognize that they are ridiculous and that they look very unnatural. When the artist exaggerates some features and diminishes others, for example, like maybe the person has huge ears and a really small head, or maybe they have like a gigantic chin and like a really small neck. You know, we see that, and, and the person looks funny, the, art, the, the caricature looks funny, but we immediately know and recognize as humans who have lived in real life, we recognize that that is impossible. That is biologically impossible. And that person, if they really did look that way, could not function in the real world. You know, if they actually had a waist that skinny or a nose that long, they would never be able to make it. And how much more is that the case if the whole human body consisted of only a single limb? If the, if the, if the artist just drew an arm, yeah, that's not a whole person. That's not going to work. 
or maybe just a small number of organs. It wouldn't work. It's not natural. And the same is true of the church. The body of Christ does not function properly or endure long-term without a multiplicity of members with a multiplicity of functions. A congregation needs not only teachers and preachers, but it also needs children's ministry volunteers, musicians, small group leaders, prayer warriors, and a host of other men and women who are willing to set up, tear down, run the soundboard, rock babies, host parties, cook food, greet at the front door, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, go on and on. It needs all these functions. And it's important, I think, to recognize that Paul and the scriptures as a whole, they actually do celebrate individualism. And this, and this text here does celebrate in many ways individualism. It celebrates difference. The psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we were knit together in the womb, that God made each one of us exactly as he wanted it to be. That each man and woman is unique and special. And God loves diversity. I know it's the summer, it's August, it's hot, but think about a snowstorm. God sends a snowstorm. He takes time to make sure that each snowflake is different. He loves diversity. Individualism is celebrated in the scriptures, but... It's also relativized for us in the scriptures. Individualism is not ultimate. Paul David Tripp, uh, who is a, a counselor and a, a former pastor in the Philadelphia area, writes this. The self-sufficient, self-made individualism of Western culture is foreign to scripture. The goal of a person's life is not to be a healthy individual. The goal is to be a person living in community with other people who are living in community with God. And again, uh, Tripp is a, is a counselor. He's a therapist. So he's not saying that trying to be a, a healthy individual mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically is a bad thing. That's obviously what he does for a living. But what he is saying is that's not the ultimate thing, that we need to be a healthy person. We need to be a person living in community with other people living in community, all with God. And so, yes, we're not robots. That's great. That's good news. We're individuals. We're different. But our uniqueness, our uniquenesses, and our talents and our abilities and our resources, even, should be leveraged for the common good, should be leveraged for the benefit of others, not just ourselves. The God-given spiritual gifts that we possess are for the whole body. They're not just for us to enjoy or to, or to hold up, but they're for the benefit of the body, for the common good. To use another illustration real quick, the church is like an orchestra, Right? Each part, each instrument makes its unique, unique contribution to a larger uh, symphonic harmony. Many, many of us, whether you're a music lover or not, and I confess I am not the biggest music buff in the world. I was having a conversation with the music team prior to the service. Um, but we've all heard a piece by Beethoven or a piece by Mozart, one of these classic symphonies. Can you imagine hearing that if it was only the clarinet section? And no shade to the clarinets. My mom played the clarinet in high school. Shout out, mom. But, so I'm not throwing shade at clarinets, but could you imagine if it was only the clarinet section? The, 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 the entire score, the whole thing, would be significantly lessened. The beauty of a great symphony is requires all the instruments working together. It requires that variety. It requires all the unique instruments joining in concert as one. And one final time from the Heidelberg Catechism. I promise I'll stop after this. From that same question and answer 55, it says this, each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts, these spiritual gifts, readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. 
See, different spiritual gifts are given to different people for the common good, and therefore, diversity within the body of Christ is inescapable. Membership in the body of Christ is inescapable. Diversity is also inescapable. So we need one another because we are one body. We need one another because we are different. But finally, we need one another, third, because we are also mutually dependent, mutually dependent. Paul touches on this a little bit in those verses we read just a moment ago, but look at the next set of verses, verses 21 and the beginning of 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." quick story. So during college, some of you know that I spent uh, two summers, uh, 12 weeks each time, uh, working at a Christian camp in northeast Georgia. One of the things that the camp director, John, loved to do during orientation week was pass out uh, a card, and this obviously only worked once, you'll, you'll notice if you're a repeat staffer, this wouldn't fool you, but he would pass out this card, and it would have about a dozen, I can't remember exactly, different elements, different things that a, that a camper, a middle school, high schooler would experience on any given week as he went through camp. So there were things listed on there like the food, the cabins, the beds, the speaker, the music, the games, et cetera, et cetera. And he asked us there that first day of, of camp staff training to rank them in order of one to 12. And he gave us you know, a few minutes and we were all busily scribbling away Many of us meeting each other for the first time, so we're all trying to be clever and smart, you know, all that kind of stuff. And after a few minutes, we went around and we shared why we thought what we put as number one was the right answer. I honestly don't remember what I put at this point. I wish I did, because it would make the story better, but I don't remember. But what happened is that John, he flipped the card around, the card that he had in his own hand, and maybe you've, you've, thought, you've guessed this already, every line had the number one by it. We all laughed and giggled, and it's a total cop-out, yeah. But his point and what he explained was that for a camper to have a really awesome week, to have a really spiritual, impactful week, every element that happened at camp was equally important. How could a middle schooler worship if his belly was hungry? How could a high schooler listen to the message if his bed was so uncomfortable that he couldn't sleep well and was just falling asleep during every service? How could an elementary schooler open up to a counselor about Jesus if the counselor didn't help him enjoy the rock wall or protect him from bullying when he was swimming earlier that day? See, each element was important for it all to work together as a whole. And the lesson was particularly instructive for me because I didn't get hired to be a counselor, which is what I wanted. It's what I wanted. That's what I applied for, John. Come on. But instead, I was on the kitchen crew. I actually served there both summers, which I was frustrated again the second summer when I was on kitchen crew again, but I was on kitchen crew for both summers, but over the course of those two summers, his lesson really sank in, and I took it to heart. Every member of the staff, every member of the summer staff has to do our part well. It's not just up to the counselors, it's not just up to the speaker, it's not just up to who's playing music or doing worship, even though those are the most public faces, but it's up to the operation staff, the ones that are living in the trailer in the parking lot that's not very comfortable. It's up to us as well to do our best in the kitchen, at the zip line, on the docks, at the snack shack. In fact, and this was part that was challenging at first, but, but again, I began to love as time went on, our job as the operations staff was actually done best when no one noticed. 
It was actually done best and done well when no one said a single word about it. But it was done well. You see, what Paul is saying in these passages is that if someone is blinded, loses an eye, or if someone loses a finger in an accident, the body suffers for sure, right? Life is going to be harder. It's going to be much different. Other parts of the body are going to have to pick up the slack in some way so that person can survive and continue living their life. And so no doubt those major visible parts are important. However, that we all know that many of those parts that are invisible and unseen in our bodies are actually the most essential, like the blood vessels, like the brain, like the kidneys. A person can survive without a limb, but if one small valve in his heart stops working, he'll die. You can live without a limb. You can't live if your heart doesn't work. It's the invisible part. And what Paul is saying here, and what hopefully I illustrated in my story, is that those spiritual gifts and the people that possess them who seem less important are, in fact, actually essential for the body, essential for the church. See, he's, he's actually flipping, and I talked about this a little bit last time, 1 Corinthians 3. He's flipping the status structure of Corinth upside down. Those individuals and those leaders who were flaunting their gifts that they believed were more spectacular, that, they were, that were more spiritual, that were more important— He's saying, hey, actually, you might be more dispensable than you think. And those people over there, those men and women who are just faithfully serving outside the limelight, behind the scenes, day after day, they actually might be the ones who are less indispensable. And he goes on. He continues to expound on this mutual dependence the next couple of verses, 24, the end of 24 and 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. One more illustration here. If you smash your finger with a hammer or you stub your toe on a coffee table, which our coffee table seems to be especially prone to, you might say, oh, I hurt my finger, or oh, my toe is killing me. But you also could say, I am in pain. I have injured myself right? To put it positively, when a a chess grandmaster defeats her opponent, does anyone come up to that person at the end of the tournament and congratulate her fingers? The one, the things that actually moved the chess pieces? No. Why? Well, because we know that it takes all of that person. It takes all of who she is, all of her body parts, all working in tandem, physical, mental, emotional, takes all of those things together to win. She is the winner, not just her fingers. The body is interconnected in that way. And so when one part of the body is absent or ill, the whole body feels its negative effects. And conversely, when the whole body wins, each part gets to enjoy the benefits. Interdependence within the body of Christ is inescapable. And so, church, we need one another. We need one another. We don't really have a choice anyway because we're a part of this body, but we need one another. So how do we respond? What do we do? Let me give two quick thoughts. There's a lot I could say here. But let me give two quick thoughts. First, do your part. Do your part. You are a part. You are a member of the body, so do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a role to play. The church, uh, as a reminder, which you're a member of by definition, is not a cruise ship. What's so great about a cruise ship? You get on that thing, you don't do any work. Everyone else does the work right? A majority of the people relax. A minority of the people 
uh, serve the, that majority. But that's not the way a church is. A church is not a cruise ship. And if you're not currently using your God-given gifts and talents and abilities for the body of Christ, I would encourage you to get out of the stands and get onto the playing field. You are not called to be a fan or a spectator, though if you are a fan or a spectator of our church, thanks. But ultimately, we want you to be a player. We want you to get in the game. You might be saying, hey, Eric, I agree that I should serve. That sounds great. I get it. I get the logic. I get Paul's argument. But I don't know what part of the body I am. Am I an arm? Am I a toenail? Am I a nose hair? I have no idea. How do I know? Let me say first, that's a conversation I would love to have. Like, let's have that conversation. More conversations like that, please. People coming and asking how they can serve, how they can discover their part to play. But let me offer a couple quick thoughts about that. The best way to find out your spiritual gift is to try to use one. See if you're any good right? Find a ministry area at our church, serve it, volunteer for it, serve it for a bit, see if you like it, see if you're naturally bent in that direction or not. Maybe even try to find one that feels a little uncomfortable, that feels like a stretch. You might be surprised. You might find that you love it or that you actually do have some skills and gifts in that way. You've just never tried to exercise those muscles before. And if it's a wrong fit, no big deal. You can try something else. It's not a big deal. It's okay. You're not committing when you serve here for life in a certain position. You can opt out. That's fine. We can find somewhere else for you to be, but let's try it. Many of you know that I'm a big fan of wine. It's like trying a new wine. You can't know if you like it by simply looking at it. Okay, it's red. Great. But you have to put it in your mouth. You have to see if you actually like it. You have to sniff it, swish it around a little bit, swallow it. You have to try it on. And it's okay to start small, but you should start somewhere. It's like going to the gym, right? I have not been in a gym in a long time. We quit our monthly donations to Planet Fitness a while ago. Uh, I'm a runner mostly, but either way, if I was to go back to the gym, I'm not going to jump down and try to do the weight I used to do or to do a, a bunch of sets like I used to do. My, my muscles just aren't there. I have to start small, and that's okay. And especially if you've never served in a church before, do something simple. We have a lot of teams here on Sunday morning and a lot of opportunities inside and outside the church to, to, to try different things. Join the setup team and teardown team. Play with babies in the nursery. Sign up for the Urban Promise Workday. Those are all pretty low commitment, easy things to try. But try something. Start small. And also, can I be blunt for just a moment? Maybe I have been already and you're thinking, uh-oh trying to hold back a little bit. But let me be blunt. For some of you here this morning, you just need to say yes. You've just been dragging your feet for too long. Just say yes to try something. And on the flip side, others of you need to say no. You need to say no to some things. You've been resisting serving the body of Christ, resisting this church or the church more broadly because you're too busy. Okay, I get it. My wife and I have two kids now. I did not get it pre-kids. I get it now, okay? I've got two kids. It's a lot. Life is busy. But the truth is, and we all know this, that we all spend time on what we value. What we actually do with our days, what's actually on our calendar that we adhere to, actually proves ultimately what we value. That's where the rubber meets the road. And I complain to my wife a lot um, that I don't have enough time to read. So I'm a pastor. I have too many books. It's true. I confess. Marie Kondo would be very upset with my house. I have a lot of books. I have a lot of books 
that I need to read, that I want to read, ones I've started that I haven't finished, and I always complain to my wife uh, that, that, that I don't have enough time to read. But you know what? This past week, I found time to run. I ran twice this week. I find time to listen to podcasts. I'm not going to confess how many hours of podcasts I have consumed. A lot of that's multitasking, but still. I find time to listen to podcasts, and I find time to read articles about fantasy football and work on my fantasy football draft board, which I'm very excited about. I find time for those things. You find time for what you value. John F. Kennedy, at the conclusion of his inaugural address, presidential inaugural address, January 20th, 1961, and you might know this quote already, many of you, it's super famous. He said this, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. What a brilliant line. That's so great. Wish I had thought of that first, right? And so, let me change the words a little bit and say to you, And so, my fellow followers of Jesus, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. So do your part. Do your part. And second, Honor and respect the other parts. This is a large piece of what Paul was talking about and trying to communicate in this passage. When he's addressing these, this topic of spiritual gifts, preceding our scripture reading, or, or scripture reading verse 12 and on, he uses uh, the Greek word there for gifts is charismata. And the root of that is the word charis, which is what, where we get grace, grace. These are grace gifts. These are grace things. And this is really clever on Paul's part because as he uses that throughout these chapters, he's subtly communicating to the Corinthian church that these supernatural talents and abilities, these competencies they have that they're bickering about, that they're flaunting, that they're putting others down, he's actually saying, hey, don't, don't forget that these are of grace. You didn't earn these things. They were given to you by God freely despite your failures, despite your wickedness, despite your woundedness. And just like our salvation in Jesus Christ, where he frees us from sin, it is also by grace alone, through faith alone. And we have nothing to boast about that. We do not do anything for that. And so, at the same time, we do nothing for our gift, and we can't boast. In a letter to a different congregation, Paul uses the body analogy again, and he talks about Christ being the head of the church. This is another passage that I could have used and kind of made a different point, but it's interesting. He talks about Paul... I'm sorry, Paul talks about Jesus being the head of the church, that Jesus is the supreme part. He's the member of the body that rightly rules over, that governs the rest of the body. But what does Jesus do as the head of the body? What does he do with that position of power, with that supreme grace gift, with the best being the best part, the most visible part, the most important part? What does he do? He doesn't consider it something to be grasped. He gives it up. He freely says, hey, I'm the head, that's fine. I will sacrifice for the sake of the body. The Gospels say that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the head, the most important part, chose to serve the body willingly, sacrificed himself for the sake of the body. And would we, as lesser parts, at least compared to Christ, equal compared to one another, but lesser compared to Christ, would we do likewise? Would we humbly accept the gifts that we have? Would we not flaunt them? Would we not belittle the gifts of others? And would we not also envy the gifts of others, which is a tough thing to do as well? So I want to wrap up this morning with a quote. This is from the German reformer Martin Luther. I came across this uh, as I was preparing, and I love this summary 
that he gives, he, he summarizes this, the teaching of this passage so well. This is actually, uh, if you have the, the worship PDF in front, or the worship folder in front of you, this is on the Reflections Quotes page if you want to read along, but it's fine if you don't. But listen to this, Martin Luther. The sun does not say it is black. The tree does not say, I bear no apples, pears, or grapes. That is not humility. But if you have gifts, you should say, these gifts are from God. I did not confer them upon myself. One should not be puffed up on their account. If someone else does not have the gifts I have, then he has others. If I exalt my gifts and despise others, that is pride. The sun does not vault himself, though more fair than the earth and the trees, but says, although tree, you do not shine, I will not despise you, for you are green, and I will help you be green. Love that last line. I will not despise you, for you are green, and I will help you be green. Liberty Church Collinswood, Liberty Church Mainline, we need one another. Let's use these God-given, spirit-empowered grace gifts we have for the flourishing of this congregation, for the flourishing of the body of Christ in South Jersey and beyond. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.